Hey, so as we get started this morning, we are starting um, a brand new book, as, as Carmen just mentioned. Um, here at Redeemer, if you haven't been with us before, or haven't been with us um, very much, we, we tend to alternate between an Old Testament book and a New Testament book. Um, the goal being a couple things. One, we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed, it's profitable, it's beneficial for us. However, not all Scripture is as easily accessible as others. And so what, what our tendency is, often on our own, is to kind of avoid things that we just find a little harder that we have to wrestle with, and we go to the things that feel more accessible and more familiar. And so because we, we try to preach chapter by chapter, um, it forces us to preach texts we wouldn't necessarily um, choose and pick. Um, We've got to wrestle and deal with, why is it here? Um, it also allows that if, if on a particular Sunday you're here, and your sin, your particular sin that you're struggling with, is, is on display in the text. It's not because someone has ratted you out. Um, it's because that's just the next text up. Um, and then as we alternate between the Old Testament and the New Testament, our hope is, would be that, that it, it gives you a longing and a desire um, to spend time in all of God's Word, um, in the breadth of it. And so we, um, two weeks ago, finished uh, the letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote in the New Testament, a short letter. And this morning, we're going to move into um, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is probably, for the most part, unfamiliar to you. you there may be a nugget or two out there that you're, you would know is um, a tied to Ecclesiastes, but it's probably not one that you've spent a lot of devotional time in. Um, it's not one that feels super familiar. Honestly, if we, as we begin this morning, probably the word that we could use is just unsettling. But if you've spent much time in Ecclesiastes, you maybe felt a little unsettled. Um, I was thinking about that term in, in this book this week, and I was trying to remember the first time in my life that I ever felt unsettled. Like, how do, how do you explain that feeling? And I remember being at my grandparents' house. Uh, it's an elementary age kid, probably on the younger side, and watching a movie, and then for the first time going, I don't think I want to watch this. And some of you will probably have never heard of it. Many of you will have had a similar um, feeling. The never-ending story. Remember that one with the big flying dog? And I just remember going, I don't think I understand it, and I don't like how it's making me feel. Like it just, it felt like it was beyond me. Um, it, it probably, if you've watched it as an adult, probably doesn't have that sense. Um, it unsettled me enough I've never watched it again, right? Like I've never wanted to go figure out was that something I would have enjoyed at the right time? Like, it was just unsettling. Um, maybe another one that some of you felt, again, what, what would have felt like a kid's movie, right? You're watching Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and then there's that bizarro scene, right, with the boat, and all of a sudden it's showing, like, crazy stuff on the walls, and you're like, what is going on? This is a kid's movie in a chocolate factory, and we have, like, chicken's heads getting cut off and worms, and, and you just have this feeling of, I, I want to get off this. Right, which was their response, right? I want to get off this ride. And so maybe for you it wasn't a movie. Maybe it's actually been an amusement park ride, right? And you got on it, and your first thought is, I need to get off. I am unsettled about, about what is about to come, which is then even where you'll see memes or T-shirts where it'll say, I want to get off this ride, and it's a picture of like the earth, right, or life. Like, I just, I want to get off this ride. I'm unsettled by it. Ecclesiastes is going to play that role in Scripture, right? Like, I'm just telling you, we are buckling up for a little bit of an unsettled 
ride. Um, so, with that um, wonderful, warm greeting, let's talk about the book a little bit before we jump into it. Um, so, the genre of Ecclesiastes is it's going to be wisdom literature. Primary, it, it, there's other elements in it, but it's primarily wisdom literature. This is going to be like Job or like Proverbs or other books of the Old Testament that are wisdom. Um, Ecclesiastes will contain some Proverbs, but it's not just made up of Proverbs. Because it is poetic in nature, because it is a proverbial, because it's wisdom literature, it's not a genre that we deal with a lot in modern like culture. Some of you um, are, are more artistic and poetic in nature. Um, that tends to be the minority of people. And so there may be a little more sense of, hey, I, I know what's going on here. But for most of us, this will just kind of feel a little bit distant and a little foreign, and we're going to have to, we're going to, have to work and like, like to grab hold of this. But that work is worth it. Like it, it is a good thing for our hearts and our minds to do. Um, you know, I think for a lot of us, we can appreciate the beauty. We can appreciate the intrigue and even the mystery of like a good poem or a good song lyric, right? And you're like, oh, I couldn't have created that, but I can appreciate it. Um, that was cute. Now tell me what it means, right? And if, if the artist is like what do you think it means? We don't like that. We're like, no, 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 you wrote it. Tell me what it means now, right? Like, I don't want, right, if a movie leaves you hanging, we don't particularly enjoy that. There are a few of us, my wife makes fun of me for being one that kind of likes it when there's not a happy ending, right? But for most of us, we want things to be tied up. We want things to have um, clarity and understanding. We want to know who the song's about. Was that about me? We want to know who the poem's about. Like we, we want clarity and answers. And wisdom literature often invites us to sit in it. And we're not good at that. And that's going to be the call for us, is to sit and to wrestle with it. Um, Zach Eswine, who's an author and a pastor, in, in referring to the wisdom literature, he, he says, listen, Job is, is wisdom literature. is like a long, desolate stretch of highway. <laughs> right? So you're a little bit afraid of breaking down there. And, and so you don't, go and you don't go to Job unless you're really prepared for it. Right? He goes, but Ecclesiastes is the crazy dude on the corner saying, you're all going to die. And you're telling your kids to avert their eyes. And you're like, we're not coming down this street anymore. Right? Like Ecclesiastes is the one that you're like, you're making me really uncomfortable. Right? So again, this is where we're headed. Right? We believe this is God-breathed, that it's beneficial, and it's profitable. Um, maybe, maybe as we think about it, this, this would be the, the clearest way we can explain a little bit as to what role Ecclesiastes is going to play in Scripture. Proverbs um, gives us kind of the rule of life. Like if you want to live a wise life, you follow Proverbs. It's not a promise that all of those things are going to come true, but it's kind of the norms of life. Ecclesiastes is going to go in there and say, Oh yeah, what about the exceptions? Ecclesiastes is the exception. So when you read a proverb and you're like, oh, that didn't come true in my life, Ecclesiastes says, I've got you. Right? I got you. You're right. Sometimes you live a righteous life and you die young. Yeah, that's Ecclesiastes, right? Sometimes it says you can do all the right things and it all turns out wrong. Ecclesiastes is like, I understand that. Right? Like that's, that is Ecclesiastes. It steps in and says, Yes, there is a, a rule that happens and is the norm that happens for most of us most of the time, for most of history, but not always. There's exceptions. 
And Ecclesiastes gives um, language and articulation to the exceptions for us. So, it's a, it's a book of wisdom. Um, who's it by? In, in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 1, and, and let me just tell you, if you're looking for Ecclesiastes, it's nestled um, right before Isaiah. Right? So if you get into Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, if you get to Isaiah, you've gone too far. But in Ecclesiastes 1.1, it says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. All right, so it gives us some information, but there's also, also some vague, vagueness to it. And so ultimately, we have to say um, that Ecclesiastes is, is an anonymous author. We don't actually know who it is. Now, historically, um, it's been taught that Solomon is the author of, of Hebrews. Oh, sorry, of Ecclesiastes. That Solomon is the author. Um, and here's, here's why. If you look in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, we see this. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Right? So he's kind of narrowing down who it could be. You go down to verse 16. He said, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and of knowledge. Right? And then if you go to verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me. We have a few kind of points here. So if we go over to 1 Kings chapter 3, we know that Solomon is David's son, right? That he is the heir to the throne. And in in 1 Kings 3, we have God asking Solomon, what do you want? Like, what what can I give you? We see this in verse 5. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. So now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitudes. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and not asked for yourself a long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I will now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And I will also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you'll walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Right? And so we we begin to get a sense of, and this sounds like Solomon, right? He's not claiming to write it, but this sounds like Solomon. We turn to 1 Kings 11, though. We see things turn for Solomon. They turn bad because he has walked away from the Lord. And in verse 9 of 1 Kings 11, we see this. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. 
Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since you have been since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Right? He he goes on to say, but because of David's sake, I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. Right? So what we see in Solomon's life, right, is this longing for wisdom and right understanding that God gives him. And we see a, a willingness to walk away from God. Well, Ecclesiastes can be seen as a very cynical and critical book, right? That is full of wisdom, but is also full of critique. And so it seems that the life of Solomon fits this really well, that he would have seen the world from many perspectives, right? And have the wisdom to, to, to articulate it. Now, we don't know for sure that Solomon wrote it. There would be some um, that would say that someone later on used Solomon as a character, right? And as a teacher, um, kind of created in a book based on that. So if Solomon wrote it, it's the 10th century B.C., right? We're some 3,000 years removed from it. Or if someone else wrote it, then we're maybe 2,500 years removed from it. Um, anyway, it's, it's an ancient book of wisdom. And, and where I want us, as we have to admit that it's anonymous, in chapter 12, in Ecclesiastes, verse 11, we see this. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed on the collected thane, for they are given by one shepherd. So this morning that we can trust this is the word of God, breathed out and given to us. And so whether Solomon wrote it or someone wrote it on behalf of Solomon or in, in Solomon's mind, that these are collected and given to us and have been kept by God for our benefit and edification and His glory this morning. That one shepherd has been leading and guiding His people. All right, so we know a little bit of what it is. We know very little about who did it, but why? Why go to Ecclesiastes, right? Church, we live right now in a culture that is bent on dismantling everything around us, right? Every institution, every thought, every truth, right? Like they're bent on there's no solid ground. There's no solid truth. I'm going to do what's best for me and mine. You do what's best for you and yours. It's all about me and my truth. Like that's, that's just kind of the culture that we're, we're seeing emerge around us. Um, some of us feel further removed from that. Some of us feel like we're in the throes of that. Ecclesiastes, um, the author, is going to dismantle things as well. But his point in dismantling them is to ultimately land at what is truth. And where, can, where, where is some bedrock that we can build on? But first and foremost, he's going to go in and just start like wiping things out, going, hey, y'all aren't listening, you're not getting the message, and you're not paying attention, so maybe if I tear some things down, it'll get your attention. And so what it does is it begins to give us insight into what is going on in the culture around us now. Like, why are people wanting this, to dismantle everything? Why are they thinking this way, talking this way, acting this way, Right? Ecclesiastes begins to give us some of the questions that people are asking, even if they can't articulate them. And he's going to critique the path to self-fulfillment. He's going to say that is a fruitless path. It's a fruitless path. And he's going to give insights into thoughts that we're seeing in our culture now, which gives us a place to, to grab hold of and to begin to bring back the truth. And ultimately for us, Ecclesiastes' role in Scripture is to give us a place to wrestle. It gives us a place to ask hard, real questions. 
the questions that we often, um, in, in our own hearts and minds, and especially in church, we try to avoid. Right? The ones where someone asks them, or if your kid asks them, you try to subtly change the subject as quickly as possible. Right? You're like, cookie, right? Shiny thing. Like you're trying, and sometimes you're doing it for yourself. Like you have a thought in the middle of the night, and that thought terrifies you, and you're afraid of the answer, and so you turn on Netflix. Right? And we do that personally, and we do it for our children, and we do it for the world around us. That sometimes we're afraid of what the answer is going to be, or afraid there might not be an answer. And Ecclesiastes says, no, no, no. No, you're going to sit in it. And you're going to wrestle with it. And it's going to be okay, although it may not feel like it's going to be okay. And it may not feel like it's going to be okay for a long time. There are no cheap answers in Ecclesiastes. Because there are no cheap answers in life. And when we offer them, they often cause more damage than good. And unfortunately, the church has had a reputation of giving pithy, right, like coffee mug answers to things that people are really, really wrestling and struggling, that they're really hurting from. Like this week, just in the life of this body, there have been ER visits, there's been burial, there's been sickness, there's been um, uh, the potential of job loss, there's fear, there's been doubt, there's been the lack of necessary resources in a situation, there's been the potential break of relationships. Like, not over the last year, this week. And so if we don't walk in on a Sunday morning and say that there's space for that, then we're doing a disservice to people. Like, if they can't come in and just be honest and say, I'm not okay, I don't have a smile on my face. Listen, we know that joy is in the midst of all circumstances, that we have hope and that we are rooted in Jesus, and all of that is true, but sometimes people just need to be able to say it's not okay, and I'm not okay, and I'm not sure if I'm going to survive this. And so when people say things like, I think life's too hard, and I hate my life, right? Our tendency as believers is to immediately try to throw a Band-Aid on that thing, right, and move them on to some truth, because I don't want to deal with that. Like, that's too much, and it's too hard. But sometimes what Ecclesiastes is going to call us to is going to say, ask them this, how do you hate life? And then listen to all the reasons they have that you would say, yeah, I would hate life. It is not our natural bent. It's not our natural response. And Ecclesiastes is going to say, hey, enter into it. And so this morning, there's going to be some squirming and some uncomfortability. Like I, even last night as I was talking to I'm like, what have I done? Like, why are we going to Ecclesiastes? Because as, as, we, as I consider even the intro into this book, my thought is, some people may just say, hey, when you're out of Ecclesiastes, we'll come back. Right? Like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to squirm. Right? What Ecclesiastes is going to remind us is this, is there is one thing certain in this life, and it's your death. And then in your death, you'll then meet God. Like, so if that's the one certain thing, then let's work back from that, because that should affect the way we live. And, Ecclesi- and, and, and what he's going to do in this book of wisdom is he's not going to give the answer. And so like, the last couple verses. He's going to let us sit in it and squirm in it and be uncomfortable. 
Like we need to quit pretending like we won't die. That we'll be the exception to these things. And so then we need to live in light of the truth that there will be a day where your life will be over and you will stand before the God And so will everyone else that you know. Right? And so how do we live in light of that? All that to be said is, are you ready? Right? A little scared? Because here we go. All right? This is where we're going to be for a while. All right, let's read. Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all of its toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, where there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been done is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It is already. It has been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Welcome to Ecclesiastes. Right? Like, um, the tone just gets set immediately. Right? And you're also left going, I'm not sure what you mean. Right? I, I, I don't know what you're doing here. So we need to define a couple of things. The first is this, in verse 2, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Um, some of your translations, you may see the word futility. Some may see the word meaningless. Um, what, what is going on here is this. Is, is meaningless is probably not really the most accurate idea. Um, it's, futility is a good idea. Really what the word can mean is, is like smoke or vapor or breath. And this idea that life is something that you can see and it looks like you can grab it and when you try to grab it, your hand goes through it, right? That if I try to grab right the, the smoke off this candle, I can't. I can move it, but I can't grab it, although I can see it. And so what he's saying is, listen, all that you can see, all that we see in life, we try to grab what is life, and we can't. And it's easily snuffed out, and it's hard to get. And so he's not saying everything around us is meaningless. Because if, if that was what he was saying, right, then, then he's saying, but except what I'm saying, which has meaning. He's saying, it's not that everything is meaningless. He says the meaning is really hard to grasp. It's really hard to get. It's really hard to understand. And so the idea of smoke or vapor or breath, that we can see it and it can get our attention, but we can't quite grasp it. He's trying to get their attention, right? He's gathered the crowd. And as as he begins, he goes, well, folks, here it is. It's all without meaning. It's all futile. How do we grab hold of it? And the audience goes, this isn't going to be fun, right? It's kind of the, the, the response here. Here's how we would say this in, in modern language. Hey, man, how you doing? Living the dream. 
right? No one means that positively, right? No one says, man, I'm actually living my dream. What they mean is, I'm barely hanging on, right? I don't know how to answer that question succinctly, so I'll just tell you I'm living the dream. And, we, and you understand that I don't mean that at all. He's saying, like, it's hard to grab hold of. And so what we do naturally is we numb ourselves or we ignore it or we bury our heads in the sand and we pretend like it's not and we um, content ourselves with shiny things or without deep thought. He is trying to get our attention to make us think this morning that life is full of things that are hard to grasp, hard to get the meaning. He goes on in verse 3, so what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun is a phrase that we will see throughout Ecclesiastes, so we need to make sure we grasp what's going on there. When he says under the sun, what he's talking about is in the observable world. Right? He's, 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 kinda, he's taking heaven out of this at this point, this, this spiritual realm a little bit. And he's saying what under the sun is what we can see, it's what we can touch, it's what we can grasp. It's, it, it's the here and now. And so honestly, what the author is doing here is he's saying, listen, we know that this world was created good. The Garden of Eden was a good thing. It was created with perfect harmony. It was a good creation and a good world. We know that to be true, but look at the mess we're in now. And so it's trying to help us understand how the one could be true that this was created right and good and perfect, and now look at the mess we're in. So how do, we, how do we rectify these things? How do we live in light of that knowledge of truth and know that the world we live in right now seems futile? It seems difficult. How do we live in light of it? And so what he's going to do is he's going to play the role a little bit of like a secular humanist, right? He's not an atheist. He's just going to go in and say, hey, if I don't believe I can know God, how would I navigate the world? And he's going to show the futility of that so that we see our desperate need actually for God in the midst of this observable world. And so that he then paints a picture for us. Verse 3, what does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? He's like basically saying, you don't get much. You're going to work real hard and you're not going to get much. Like you're never going to be actually satisfied or content. And then he just paints kind of this, this honest but bleak picture. Listen, you think you matter right now. And there's, there's this sense of like, hey, every generation kind of thinks they're the best and like that they're the smartest and people that came before them are fools until the next generation comes and tells you that you're a fool. Right? Like there's just this natural um, assumption that like we are the pinnacle of society, the pinnacle. And it says a generation goes and a generation comes saying you're going to come and go and you're going to be forgotten. The earth will remain. And he gives some examples of how the earth remains and how the earth is in this same kind of cyclical thing. Listen, he says the sun goes up and the sun comes down, and it does it again tomorrow. And the wind blows, and it looks like something, but it, it just blows. Right? If anybody could understand this passage, it's us, right? The wind blows, and it goes around to the north, and it blows to the south, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit, the wind returns. Like it's not blowing somewhere to get somewhere, it's just blowing. And the sun goes up and the sun goes down. And then he gives a third one. And listen, all the streams, right, they're headed to the water, they're headed to the sea. But it never overflows. And there's always more water to go. Like, right? It's just 
Like no one's standing there going, okay, this river's about to be empty. Or, hey, the ocean's about to be full. It just keeps happening. Generation after generation have seen the same seas, same oceans, the same rivers, the same wind, same sun. And those things continue, and we don't in this life. So he continues, So all things are full of weariness, and a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What he's saying is this, no one has ever gone, okay, I've seen it all. I'm good. Turn off my eyes. Like, there's nothing left for me to see. Right? It's, the eye is never satisfied. It's constantly craving more beauty, more enjoyment. The ear never goes, I've heard all the music I want. I've heard all the compliments I could ever have. I've heard all the, like, it doesn't do it. It's never, it's never satisfied. Never satisfied. We can experience that this month on December 25th when people around you will open presents and then later in that day we'll ask you, so what else? Did I get anything else open? What am I going to do? I'm bored. All right, or a week later they're asking for something or the next day you go to the store and they're like, can I have a toy? And you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to pull, pull my hair out, right? I know that's ironic for me to say. Um, Right, like that contentment is just not in us. Satisfaction is not in us. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it, nor the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Listen, his, his claim here is not that they had iPhones, right, in the 10th century BC. He's not saying that nothing new is ever invented. But he's saying, listen, why are things made? attempt to satisfy something in us, to attempt to accomplish something. And so when we made it to the moon, we didn't say, we've done the space thing, right? We're going, well, now, now where? Now where? When someone conquers a people, they don't say, okay, enough war, enough battle. They want more, right? Like that nothing changes and that we continue to long for more, strive for more. And, and in the midst of that, that what would have been going on in the 10th century BC is that there would have been Sick bodies. We still have sick bodies. We've changed the ways that we attempt to heal them. But they still break and die. And we have broken families. And we have sin. And we have struggle. And we have broken hearts. Right? Like these things still occur. He's like, there's nothing new. It is going on. And, and we, we put different wrapping on it. But it's the same human struggle and issue over and over and over again. And so what he is starting us off here this morning with is he says, I want to pry your fingers off some things you're holding on. I want to loosen your grip into thinking that, that you can just go on your merry way. That you're not in control. And you're not... You don't get to dictate all the things in your life. So earlier this um, year, we were in um, Alabama at the beach, and red flag warning day, or just short of red flag warning the first day, the ocean is going nuts, and I'm standing several feet into the water, so I can like have my back to the ocean, and I'm watching the kids play, and I'm kind of there, like right if, if the tide grabs them, I'm going to grab them, um, really making Carmen feel really comfortable and at peace on the beach, um, feeling like that was a great idea. <laughs> And she's like, hey, one kid at a time, you know, and I've got 
two or three out there. And all this is going on. We've been doing it for half an hour. And, and I feel like, hey, I'm on, I'm on sand, but I'm on solid ground. I'm a, I'm a big guy. And these waves are knocking the kids over, and it's hilarious, and I'm fine. Until all of a sudden, my face was in the sand. And like, I didn't know which way was up. And all I'm thinking is, like, I don't, I'm not in control right now. Um, and I don't know where the kids are either. Fortunately, at that moment, they, had, they were up far enough. What had wiped me out, they had seen coming and smartly had moved closer to the beach. And so no one needed rescue except me, right? And I was able to kind of come up. And, like, I literally, like, some of my clothing was, like, half off. And I, it's just like, what just happened? Ecclesiastes is saying life will do that to you. That you think you're in control and you're holding on to your career and to your relationship and all these things and then life hits you and you come up sputtering for air, right, with your shirt off, right, and like a shoe, and you're like, what happened? Like, did anybody else see that? Like, I just got knocked out. And some people are laughing and some people are crying and some people are going, oh, that's happened to me. (laughs) And some people are calling you a fool. Like, that's the human experience. And church, what, what we're being called to this morning is the uncomfortable, right? What did, what did we see in chapter 12? The goads, right, are painful. But it's meant to pry our fingers off some things that this morning feel like they are the most precious thing in the world and that you believe you're in control of them. And Ecclesiastes is going to remind you you're not. And ultimately, it's going to be okay. You think, man, why are we doing this? Jesus never talked like this. Let me read one passage to you real quick. And we'll, we'll be done this morning. This is Mark 8. Verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus, too, talks like this. He says, man, you can gain it all. Like all the Proverbs can come true for you, and if you don't get me, you're going to lose it all. This morning, what will settle our heart in the midst of this is that Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Like that this, this was written prior to Jesus, right? Looking, longing, seeing the, the, the hardness of the world. In church, we have to be reminded this morning that although we are rooted and anchored and have hope in Jesus, that most people around us don't. And right now, right, they're the ones getting knocked around or they're holding on to shiny things, believing it will satisfy them. And Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, it wasn't enough for you. You needed Jesus. And so do they. And so let's, let's hear their cries and hear their questions and deal with it. And when necessary, there'll be some scriptural goads that would pull our fingers back from the things that we would want to hold on to. Listen, this morning, we're going to stop there. And I know it's awkward. But I feel like it's, it's appropriate to gain the tone this morning that although we know Jesus is sufficient and enough, and although the author of Ecclesiastes will make them wait till chapter 12, we're, I'm not going to make you wait till chapter 12, right? We're going we're gonna to get to some solid ground in, in the sermons in the weeks to come. That it would be appropriate this morning to leave just a little bit of like, I don't want to sit in this, because that's what we're being called. Right? So I'm going to pray for us. Father, we come this morning 
Lord, just asking for courage. Um, Lord, courage to, to sit with uncomfortable questions. Courage to sit with not an immediate answer. God, that if we, if we can't do that in our own hearts and lives and minds, how can we begin to do that for someone else? And Lord, that there are folks who are trying to navigate this world without you, without wisdom. God, that all of us were once that person as well. And even now that we can try to grab on to things that won't give us steadiness. So Father, would we not be afraid of Ecclesiastes? Would we enter into it um, with a willingness to, to be a little uncomfortable and to squirm a little bit, knowing that ultimately that we are rooted and grounded on solid surface because of Jesus? And Lord, there, that we still have questions that haven't been answered, that we are surrounded by people that are just hurting. Father, would you give us eyes to see Ecclesiastes? Would you give us ears to hear it, a heart to wrestle, a mind to ponder, that you would come out more and more glorious in our life, um, even when we are in lament and not just so God, would you speak to us, especially during a month where shiny things can get, gain our attention um, but may not point to you? In Jesus' name, amen.